You're listening to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. This is episode number 30, airing on June 7th, 2012. Welcome to the Ending Human Trafficking Podcast. My name is Dave Stahoviak. And my name is Sandy Morgan. And this is the show where we empower you to study the issues, be a voice, and make a difference in ending human trafficking. And Sandy, speaking of making a difference, I'm so glad that we have someone with us today that has been making a huge difference. And last episode, number 29, we talked about how to lead community advocacy. And uh, this episode, we have a great example of someone who's been doing that and forming some wonderful partnerships. And so I'm going to let you take it and introduce our oh, guest today. I'm so excited and to have me too, Holly me too. Smith with us. And Holly comes to us from the East Coast. So we're we're on the line. And I think one of the most amazing things about her is she just comes across as as a very demure, um, quiet young woman. But behind that smile is a powerhouse of initiative and influence and drive to end human trafficking. Now, a lot of people say things like, well, you know, a, a survivor advocate has a, a louder voice. But as you understood, if you listened to the last podcast, there is a lot more behind becoming an effective community advocate than having a loud voice. It ta- it takes a lot of preparation and studying and um, doing developing the growing um, trusted relationship so that people invite you to to share what you have to share. And just as a point of um, making an, uh, a, a little more of an emphasis on her her credibility, um, Holly was invited to uh, provide testimony for a congressional hearing. So her voice is recognized nationally. Holly, welcome. We're so Hi, happy to have you. thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for that introduction. That was really helpful. Oh, well, I'm, I'm very excited to have you here. Um, I, think, I think that probably when you were a teenager, you probably never had a dream to go and, and give testimony for Congress. No. Oh, my gosh. If you told me that I was going to do that even a year or two ago, I would have never believed you. And, and was writing for the Washington Times ever on your list of dreams? You know, I've always wanted to be a writer, but um, my advocacy has taken me in this direction where I'm now writing for the Washington Times, and I didn't expect that. I didn't expect to be sort of a journalistic writer, but I love it. I really uh, do. I love it. And you're so effective. I'm, I'm really impressed. And I, I see um, links in in how important this is. I, I remember um, as a high school student myself um, competing in a speech contest and the title of my speech was The Pen is Mightier Than the Sword. Great quote. And I right. believe that your written words will go places that um, you would just be exhausted if you had to go there yourself. So I commend you on that. 
Um, let's Thank get into so a couple of things that you talk about here. Um, first of all, we do know that you are a survivor advocate. So can you, in like two sentences, just give us kind of a timeline um, that starts when you were 10 and then how old you were when you escaped? Oh, sure. I mean, it, it happened in the year 1992. I was actually 14. It was um, the, my summer vacation between eighth grade middle school and ninth grade high school. And so I was a, I was a typical kid in a typical American suburb. Um, I went to a good school, but um, I met somebody at the mall who was looking for a girl just like me who would be easy to manipulate and um, ultimately control once under his, um, once in his possession. Oh, I, I just, I just want to say to people, this blows all of the, um, the many people's preconceived ideas out of the water. First of all, um, from an average home and the idea that 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 can happen and and it wasn't because you were in some dark alley someplace and you were in the wrong place um right but it was because you were at a very vulnerable age with particular sets of circumstances and predators know how to find the most vulnerable and so that then begins to argue for how do we begin to protect, not just give information. I've seen a lot of things have come across my desk recently about prevention tools in junior high and high school. Um, did anybody tell you not to talk to um, strange men at the mall? Well, sure. I mean, I heard um, the not to talk to the old man at the mall, but this, this guy wasn't the creepy old man at the mall. He was young. He was cool. He looked like somebody um, from a music video or just somebody's really cool older brother. So, so all those warnings from adults really didn't go dinging off in your head when you met him. No, they didn't. I mean, I think that when I first met him, I was leery at first. I, I actually, he called me over to him in the mall, and I actually shook my head at him at first. Um, but then I wound up walking over there because I think that I was intrigued by the fact that this cool-looking guy picked me out of the crowd and not one of my other friends. You know, I always felt um, less pretty than my other friends and less cool and um, so I, I felt special that he had pointed me out and asked me to walk over. So now knowing what you know, do you feel like he was being pretty intentional by um, um, singling you out of that group? Absolutely. I was sort of shuffling behind my friends. Um, I think that I I displayed like that I was going through some depression. I was definitely struggling with the transition from middle school to high school my friends were changing. I was afraid of the kids in high school. Um, and he was definitely able to pick up on that. Mm. So one of the things about your story that really struck me was the role that teachers played in your life. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Sure. Um, I had wonderful teachers through elementary school, middle school, and high school. 
my teachers in intermediate and middle school, they really tried to help me. This was before I was trafficked. They could see that um, I was in trouble, but they just didn't know how to help me. And I couldn't tell them. I was unable to articulate what was wrong. I think I didn't understand what was wrong. Um, But after the trafficking, teachers throughout um, the different grades and the different schools that I attended, they all helped to keep me moving forward. Um, And I definitely strayed from the past a bit, but they all helped me to to head in the right direction. And ultimately, um, they helped me go to college. Wow. Wow. Where did you go to college? I started out at Ocean County College in Toms River, New Jersey. And then after two years there, I was accepted into the Richard Stockton College of New Jersey um, for the biology program. Wow. That's amazing. That is so amazing. Teachers are so much influence. Now, I want to read a quote from your most recent column in the Washington Times. It says, these teachers wanted to help me. They just didn't know how. Um, what can we do to change that? Um, you know, I think that I'm, I'm going to work my next column to have some tips for teachers. And I think for me, the, the most important thing that comes to mind is to know your local volunteer programs. A program like Big Brothers, Big Sisters would have been perfect for me in intermediate school or middle school. Um, But I didn't even know it existed until recently. So I think that that's that's an important thing. If teachers recognize that a a kid is struggling, maybe to reach out to them and and offer them some some volunteer-based programs that might help boost their confidence and, and introduce them to different things in life. So, so the, the recent um, legislation, um, SB 259 in Virginia, um, you went and testified to the Senate Education Committee, correct? Right. And that, what happened as a result of that? Well, that was one of the coolest things that I've done so far. I've spoken at a lot of different events, but, um, but speaking in front of that committee was, uh, it was very empowering. At first, it was intimidating. I had never been in that kind of a setting before. The room was full of people, and they didn't know who I was. They weren't there to hear me. They were there to speak on some other kind of bill for or against it. So people were grumpy. They were busy. And the legislators were pushing people through, like telling them, you have to cut down your speech. You have to talk for less time. And so... I kind of sat down and nervously scratched at my speech, and I, I whittled it down to just a paragraph. And um, when I went up to speak, I was really nervous, but I walked away feeling so empowered because it passed unanimously, and, and I made a difference. I really felt like that speech was going to go to some greater good. So what did that bill eventually um, entail? So it was signed into um, it was signed by Governor Bob McDonnell on Tuesday, and it requires the Department of Social Services and the Department of Education 
to um, supply teachers with resources and with prevention strategies. Wow. For, yeah, to fight against trafficking. So um, that would have helped me so much. And I think I'm going to try to work with uh, the Department of Social Services and, and the Department of Education on coming up with these materials. Um, but I would recommend that in the prevention strategy that teachers know their local volunteer-based programs. And if they're if they have a child in their care that has been trafficked, to also have resources and to know who the organizations are locally that can offer the specialized care that that victim needs. Okay, and when you when you talk about specialized care, um, you, I think you're kind of pointing towards some of the developmental issues that um, anyone who interacts with this this um, victim will have to consider. And one of the aspects that we've talked about a little bit before is the idea that a 14-year-old girl who has been through this experience is very likely to deny everything. Is that correct? Right. Um, many, many victims will, they don't identify themselves as victims because many of them have been exploited in the past. And they've been exploited for so long that they can't recognize the difference between exploitation and a healthy relationship. And those are the kinds of kids that these traffickers are looking for. So they can manipulate them. It's easier to manipulate them. So how would, how would a teacher identify um, a student in that kind of situation if the student won't even acknowledge that this is happening? Um... You know, I've I've read Teresa Flores' book, uh-huh. and um, she was trafficked while going to school, and she has some really great tips in her book, and and I'll write some tips up for um, a future column. But I wasn't trafficked while I was going to school, so I can't give a lot of tips for that from from my experience. But I can say, as far as prevention strategies. I would um, look for girls who are followers. I was a follower in intermediate and middle school. I didn't have a solid self-identity. So I was always going along with the crowd. And Mm. my teachers recognize that because it's in my report card. So that's why when I was introduced to trafficking, um, these, these traffickers, there was a female there, and she bonded with me. And, um, and that was important. Her, that role of hers was important with me in getting me to follow along with what she was telling me to do. Okay. I don't think I knew that part of your story. So the traffickers had a woman in their group? They did. There were actually three traffickers, one that I met at the mall, and um, we exchanged phone numbers. And um, I thought that I was talking to that man over the next two-week time period, and what I learned recently in my case files after driving to Jersey and meeting with the prosecutor's office um, is that it was a second trafficker on the phone who was skilled at talking to young girls and getting them to trust him. Wow. And then the woman was the third part of the team. Exactly. And did all of them go to prison? They were all arrested. Um 
the main trafficker served 365 days in jail. The guy on the phone, he served less time. I have to, um, I forget exactly what he got. And then the woman, she posted bail and fled New Jersey. She's actually still a fugitive in New Jersey. Wow. Wow. So when, um, when you advocate for young women, you're, you're, you want people to understand their developmental stage, um, their need for acceptance, um, and being able to identify those kids who are most vulnerable. And at the same time, um, you're also advocating for stronger laws that will build better defenses um, around them, correct? Right. Yes. So what do you think um, your strategy next is besides um, now that you've been so successful there in Virginia? Well, I would like to introduce another law, actually, that provides materials to um, anyone working with kids who, like in the mental health service area, psychiatrists, psychologists, counselors, anyone that might be working with a traffic victim, I'd like them to um, be trained on the mindset of many of these victims. And and that that desire, because I've heard this from you a couple of times now, that desire really comes out of your own experience of speaking to counselors and not having them really understand um, your experience and that your words didn't match your experience, correct? Right. I was hospitalized for about 30 days after I was trafficked. And the psychiatrist that I worked with, um, we just didn't connect. And, and I think that she didn't make a lot of the connections that need to be made with traffic victims, like there's a likelihood of prior sexual exploitation. So what would you recommend to um, a counselor or even a, a nurse that's, that's taking care of an adolescent that may have been a victim of, of commercial sexual exploitation? How would they be able to gain your trust and um, really be more effective? Uh, as far as gaining the trust, that's tough because that didn't happen with me at that age. Um, I think it's something that, that can't happen, possibly can't happen within just 30 days because I think these kids are used to getting disappointed, being disappointed by the adults around them. Mm. So it needs to be a long-term uh, relationship between the counselor and the child. It, it, the counselor has to know that it might take a while. So can you explain to me what you mean by used to being disappointed? Well, there were a couple of times that I reached out for help from adults before I was trafficked, and it didn't go well. Um, one was a teacher, one was a family member, and one was a social worker. And they just, the, the situations weren't handled well, and what I learned from it was not to trust adults with that really personal information and just to kind of internalize it. So if, if the, um, someone finds that's a practitioner that's working with adolescents and they're a nurse or a school counselor 
or um, it somehow will engage, maybe they're an after-school volunteer, um, what would you advise them right now when there aren't really any resources that are easily accessible uh, for this, for training for this kind of um, possible interaction? You know, we have counselors that are highly trained now um, that work with victims who are already identified in many cities, but the average frontline service provider who's just going to suddenly find themselves in in a situation where they might encounter someone just like you, Holly, how would you advise them in just um, a, a paragraph to um, engage that that young person? Um, my my best advice would be that there is probably something that that girl or boy is dealing with that happened long before the trafficking. And so trying to talk to them about the trafficking is only stra- only scratching the surface. You need to go a little deeper and a little further in, into their childhood and ask questions about how they were raised and was there some sort of exploitation um, at any time in their past. I think that they need to deal with those issues before they can recognize themselves as the victims of trafficking. Hmm. So that was pretty much the process that um, helped you move from victim to survivor? Right, yeah. It's, um, well, what really helped me was meeting other survivors and hearing similar stories. Um, I think that if I had met a survivor at 14 and heard his or her story, then I would have been able to identify myself as as a victim of this kind of crime. I, I would have been able to, I don't know, I think that would have had a big impact on me. Okay, and that makes a lot of sense. I really like what you just said about meeting a survivor um, because then you have a place to identify those kinds of issues. And we're always talking about having role models in front of our um, our young people we're talking about, you know, who are the the role models for for your um, teenagers and their music stars, pop stars. They may be uh, promoting media agendas that are really counter to what we're talking about here, and may actually be exploitative. So, um, how do you think we can do a better job getting your voice out there into mainstream media so that you are a a role model for? Um, kids who may become vulnerable and may be in the in the in a place where they're very um, likely to be targeted to be exploited. You know, I encourage parents and teachers, and um, or any organization that deals with kids, to check out their community and look for um, young adults that are active in in some sort of. Um, some sort of organization, positive organization, not just promoting music or uh, they're, they're really making a difference. And I would bring those guys in to speak to the kids and, and promote like uh, sports role models, fitness role models, get them into the schools, get posters of them up. Um, so are, are you going to have posters that. of you, Holly? Are there pictures of me on my Are, website? No, no, I'm just, I'm just joking. But it's like I think I'd like to have a Holly poster for my office. <laughs> yeah, no posters yet. But I think that there's a lot of 
I, I looked into this before and I looked up um, teen sports role models and mm. I couldn't find very much out there on the internet, which was really disappointing because I know there's plenty of young people out there mm-hmm. that are into sports and fitness and, and or meditation, yoga, um, something other than just music and movies and just promoting the status of celebrity. Okay, okay. Well, I really like your idea for um, survivor role models because what we do know is with adolescent thinking, they're much more inclined to listen to peer mentors or close to peer mentors, those kinds of um, of youthful role models than they are to teachers older than they are and um, right. uh, people wearing uniforms and, and having a lot of authority. So creating space and opportunity for survivors to be those role models, um, that certainly is an area that we can advocate for in our community. And I hope that we'll be able to invite you to Orange County and um, uh, put you out there as a, a role model for our young people. Because I really admire be what you've done. That would be great. I, I, I definitely advocate for survivors being part of the movement um, because what better way to show um, victims that these organizations are working with that they can be successful members of the community by involving survivors who are successful and, and can help the girls directly. Um, I think that's really important. So um, what did you do to get in front of the Virginia um, uh, legislators? How did you get that invitation? Well, Polaris Project in D.C. recognized the voice of the, how powerful the voice of the survivor is and um, how meaningful it is to involve survivors. So uh, they invited me to speak on behalf of, the, of several bills, actually. There was, there was a handful of bills that went through the General Assembly, but the, the one regarding the educators really spoke to me because mm. I had such a close relationship with many of my teachers. So I went to a couple of meetings with Polaris Project. And uh, then, I, then they helped me through the process of speaking um, before the committee. And how did you um, get connected with Polaris? I actually got connected with Polaris through Carissa Phelps, oh. another survivor you interviewed. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Uh, Carissa so. is a very big advocate for survivors and connecting survivors with opportunities. I love that. I love that. So um, we're going to be watching your um, column. Is that weekly now? Yep. It's a weekly column on the Washington Times. And I'll try to have some follow-up tips on my blog, on my website. Okay. Um, if you go to hollyaustinmyth.com, um, like tomorrow, I'll post some tips for teachers. Okay, great. HollyAustinSmith.com. And we'll, in our show notes, we will put a link to that and as well as to your column at Washington Times. And we're actually awesome. recording this a little earlier than it will be airing. So by time it airs, all of that will be up there. So uh, you'll have access to it immediately. Yeah, that's going to be terrific. 
terrific. Holly, I can't wait to talk to you again. We will plan some other opportunities for podcasting together, and we will um, find new opportunities for taking some of your ideas and seeing how we can implement them here in our community in California. It's um, innovative and refreshing and encouraging to hear your voice. And we're very, very excited about the future and what you're doing on the East Coast. Great. Thank you, Sandy. Thanks, Dave. You're welcome. And, you know, I just am so inspired by the work you're doing, Holly, and I know many of our audience members will be as well. And so if you are uh, listening to this conversation today and have questions or feedback about the conversation or want to know more, and of course, we're going to aim to have Holly back here, but we'll, of course, get uh, her in touch with any questions, comments you have. So by all means, feel free to give us a call at our listener hotline, 714-966-6361, or you can always reach out to us by email, and our email address is gcwj at vanguard.edu, and of course that stands for the Global Center for Women and Justice, which sponsors all of the work we do, and which is the center that Sandy directs at Vanguard University here. Thank you, Dave and Holly. Again, thank you so much for being with us today. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks to you both. And we'll look forward to talking with you again in two weeks for our next episode. Take care, Sandy. Bye-bye.